University Circle. It's two middle-aged men in Cleveland, featuring filmmaker Nick Lowe. And now, the masters of the pan flute, Ken Horsnick and Ted Clark. Hard to believe we are in the week of Easter week. Ted, how was your week? It was interesting. My wife uh, had to take my mother-in-law to the doctor again. I think I've mentioned it on the show before that my mother-in-law had reconstructive ankle surgery back in December. And so she's been essentially wheelchair bound since as she recovers. She's now starting to be able to move around, put a little bit of weight on it, but uh, they, she's in a wheelchair. Erica went to take her to the doctor this week. So they had a ramp at the house and my father-in-law was pushing her up the steps or down up the ramp or down the ramp. I don't know which I get a phone call from my wife and said, hello. And she says, I am so sorry. I'm like, what's the matter? Well, I failed you. Oh, you did. I didn't have my phone out and my camera rolling. And my father was pushing my mother up the ramp and she fell out of the wheelchair. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Oh my gosh. That's how my wife told me that my mother-in-law fell out of the wheelchair. She's okay. Oh my Lord, Ted. Is she okay? Obviously yeah, she's, she's good. She's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah everything's oh, good. But only uh, that hurt was probably pride. She's yeah, that was the, uh, so that was kind of the highlight of the week for me, knowing that my wife, I've trained her well enough to know you got to have a camera handy at all times. I had a sitcom situation myself. Yeah. When I got vaccinated last week. Oh, so we talked about this briefly. So I, I went to try scene Parma. It was, it went so quick. I was there in and out, out of my car, got the vaccination and done in 20 minutes, which was just amazing. Now, when you sign up to get the vaccine, as many of you know, you have to pre-register. And then before you walk in, you have to give them a piece of paper where they ask some basic questions. You're, so I printed the paper out, bring it to the location. And when you walk in, the gentleman's like, do you, do you have a, uh, do you have a schedule? Or obviously are you in the, one of the appointments? I said, well, yes. And he says, okay, let me see your paper. And he looks at me, Ted, I swear to God. He goes, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate you fully filling out the paper. You are extremely organized. And at first I'm thinking the guy's being sarcastic. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I've not cured cancer here. I basically fill out a piece of paper, put my name on it. You follow so as I walk into the facility, as I look to the left, there had to be about 15 or 20 people filling out the paper. Uh, and I'm just like, why won't you just do this at home? I mean, yeah. I know not everybody has a printer and I, I, okay. I understand that, but yep. My gosh, just make things easier. And the guy, he, he said it to me twice. He goes, I really appreciate you being organized. So for about two seconds, and we always have this once in a while, for about two seconds, I feel, well, I'm pretty proud of myself. I did yeah. it. But then I thought about what I did. I signed my name to a piece of paper. You're so I, I, don't, I don't feel like a hero. I just, yep. so. well, if the bar's set low enough, you know, you and I can. <laughs> we can pass that. Yeah, yep. <laughs> So oh, I hear uh, I hear your uh, beloved celebrated a birthday. She did. Yes, yeah. she How's turned that? forty. Oh, she turned forty this I past Tuesday. So, that, but okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, we actually spent a weekend very quick. We spent a weekend down in Millersburg. Have you been to Millersburg, Ted? 
No. Okay. It's a very nice little area, very rustic. They have a lot of different cabins. It's Amish country. We had a very nice time. It was, it was very cool. Obviously, the highlight was watch the Stipe fight. It was not the result we were looking for, nor for anybody else. But mm-hmm. it was kind of cool to do that. It was just rest and relaxation. That's what you wanted to do. And that's what we did. So no better way to celebrate your 40th birthday than uh, with uh, Ezekiel, Zebediah, and the host of others that are in Millersburg. So it was great. It was wonderful. <laughs> Is anybody building a log cabin while you were there? Oh, my God. They're building all kinds of stuff over there. <laughs> they are making money hand over fist uh, in that area. I'm just telling okay. you that right now. Now, I recall last week. And so I'm curious. I hear that uh, Eowyn's birthday gift. I hear you gave her a pearl necklace. We did. We did. We did give her a pearl necklace. Once What's, again, when you get we? To 40. Yes, we myself and the kids. Oh, so, okay. yes, it's from all of us. When you get to be a certain age and you deal with this with your wife and obviously your in-laws, you don't know what to get anybody anymore. Yeah. You really don't. And so, yes, Awen received a fine pearl necklace for her 40th birthday. And how did she like that? She loved it. Okay. She loved it. Well, once again, sometimes you have about, I don't know, 10 minutes of fame. And once again, I had 10 minutes of fame and then went, you know, right up. Then, the then you were back to fourth place. Minor leagues. Yeah. Okay. Able. Well, coming up on this week's show, filmmaker Nick Loeb is here to talk about the movie Roe v. Wade. Tells the factual events surrounding the most well-known Supreme Court case in U.S. history. He was the writer, producer, director, and actor. I think he may be selling popcorn at some of the showings. I don't know. (laughs) Anyhow, we're going to talk to him about uh, some of the challenges the crew ran into during the making of the film. And it does have a bit of a Cleveland tie. Corbin Burnson. Remember him? Yes. Yeah. Dorn. Well, yeah. Roger Dorn. Out of the ball, Dorn. Well, he is in major league and he's in this movie too. So that'll be interesting. We have some good news to pass along about a thieving dog. We have a new segment called get in the ring. We're going to talk about memories of a big event in pro wrestling history. Oh, yeah. We also have an event to highlight for this week in Cleveland history. An NHL referee, or maybe I should say former NHL referee, makes our misspeak of the week. And in Klopp's Clips, I was going to put a story in, a joke in about that cargo ship that blocked the Suez Canal. You know about that? I did hear about that. Yeah, yes. unfortunately, that got freed earlier this week, so clearly that ship has sailed. Oh, jeez. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place download 
the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Blah 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 Our guest today is a movie actor, producer, and director. He has starred in many movies. He has also worked in motion picture finance, real estate investing, and has launched his own food brand. His latest motion picture effort shines a light on the most well-known court case in U.S. Supreme Court history, Roe v. Wade. The film opens April 2nd and stars John Voight, John Schneider, Robert Davi, and Corbin Burnson, who, by the way, if you're from Cleveland, Corbin Burnson is, unfortunately for you, uh, sir, is going to be our favorite actor because of his role in Major League. But nevertheless, <laughs> um, our guest today is the director and actor in the film. So let's talk with Nick Loeb. Nick, thanks for your time. And I'm sorry, but I hope you'll understand that we here in Cleveland have an affinity for the third baseman from Major League. So it's just kind of interesting. That was one of my favorite movies. So, you know. <laughs> you know to see him uh, now is. It was great, uh, great having movie. Roger Dorn in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Did, <laughs> did, at any point during the making of the movie, did you walk up and say, stay down on the ball, Dorn? <laughs> <laughs> I think you uh, had enough of those jokes. Yeah, so I'm sure. I try I'm to sure. Keep it professional. Well, Roe v. Wade is the movie. Obviously, the topic is <clears throat> hot button to say the least. Why did you want to make this movie? Well, you know, I, you know, I've been in the film business for you know over 20 years, and I was surprised that nobody had actually made the movie based on the most famous court case in U.S. history. I mean, we all make movies on everything in Hollywood. You know, no one had really tackled the true story of Roe v. Wade. And uh, so that was one one reason. And then when I sort of started researching it, I said, well, maybe, you know, no one made the movie because it was some boring courtroom drama nobody wants to see on TV. And then when I started researching it, I found, you know, lies and manipulation and conspiracy. It was almost like an Oliver Stone movie, like JFK. So I'm like, well, this is going to be entertaining as well. Um so I think the culmination of both of it, I thought it was going to be entertaining and it was so famous that the story just had to be told. Nick, certainly the movie tells the story about the case and all that. Basically, is this movie from a pro-life or pro-choice point of view? It's the, po- it's the point of view of what happened. It's essentially the truth. You know, I think people can see it and take away what they want out of it. I think people may have a few preconceptions because of some of the actors who are involved. Um, but this is your audience knows. I mean, even the majority of the conservative actors who are involved, I mean, a lot of them aren't necessarily pro-life. So uh, you shouldn't always judge a book by its cover. And, and so we just lay out the facts of exactly what happened, how it got there. We actually start by taking the perspective of the pro-lifers, it's the, it's the pro-choice people, it's the pro-choicers who actually tell you the story uh, in the film. Now, you do have one of the characters that converts and becomes pro-life at the end of the movie and the end of his life, who is instrumental in getting road passed. But that was the truth of what had happened. I mean, if, if, if any of the pro-lifers had converted and became pro-choice, I would have told that and added that to the movie, but it didn't happen. So I think it's, you know, for an audience to take with it uh, what they may. Was it a difficult movie to make considering the subject matter? Did you run into things that if you were shooting, I don't know, a movie on car chases, you wouldn't normally run into? You know, yeah, there were some small challenges here and there. 
you know, people not too happy with the subject matter one way or another. But I think with the challenges, we reaped some rewards, right? There were a lot of people who came and supported us out of the blue that we wouldn't expect to support us. So I think it had a double-edged sword. And that being said, and I love the media loves to, you know, blow everything out of proportion and, and what the general public doesn't truly understand. Getting a, any independent film made is very challenging, very tough. A lot, you know, takes a lot regardless. And I think, you know, listen, it, you know, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. it took you four years to make a movie. I'm like, most independents take 10 or 20 years to make, get the movie made. I mean, I've got movies that I've been trying that aren't controversial at all, been trying to get made for 20 years. And so, you know, you know, on, on from that uh, perspective, I think this was actually pretty quick and pretty easy to get, get made. But yeah, we, we have our challenges and we still have our challenges now. It's just sort of uh, interesting, but. Did you have difficulty getting certain actors to be a part of this? Or did you have actors say, hey, I'm not, I don't want to get involved because of the subject matter? Do you have anything like that? The majority of our stars in the movie actually was quite easy to get. Um, you know, uh, all the actors that, that you mentioned earlier, you know, they love the material. They love the script. I think they were excited to play sort of these giants of the legal profession. And they all play Supreme Court justices. So I think this was... You know, Supreme Court justices have never really been portrayed in film before. And I think this was exciting and new for them. Um, and, you know, these are famous, famous, famous people during that time, uh, whether it was Warren Berger or Rehnquist or White or Blatton. And then so all of it, I think that was really exciting for these actors to play. Yeah, I mean, sure, we had one or two smaller actors who played smaller roles that um, who came in to read and they decided that, you know, they didn't want to, I think one or two didn't, didn't want to do the movie because of the subject matter. But that was, that really wasn't the norm, right? Mm -hmm. That was, you know, that was the exception rather than the norm. The subject matter, was that a topic of discussion between the cast and crew at all uh, during the making of the movie? Was there any, oh, wow, this, um, this scene here, you know, that kind of thing? Maybe for some of the big, for some of the actors who had bigger roles in the movie, the older guys who, you know, the Supreme Court justices weren't there that long, only a couple days. And so had had a lot smaller uh, roles. Uh, some of the guys who had been on set uh, throughout the entire time, you know, had discussions. We even had one guy who was a liberal pro-choice uh, person convert and become pro-life during the making of the movie. And no, I'm not going to tell you who that is because he still <laughs> wants to work in Hollywood. <laughs> Did whoever this person was share with the rest of the cast or? No, or, just with me. Just with you. Okay, that's. that's well, with, yeah, with me and, and my directing partner. And, you know, at the end, it really, you know, we, we spent some time afterwards. We became close. And he said, you know, you know, I was pro-choice before this movie. And now I don't think I am anymore. I, I, you huh. know. Well, okay. That's really interesting. I'm very excited to see the film coming up, you know, very soon here in April. But. For yourself, obviously, you've had other opportunities to talk with some other people. Has this been a difficult film to promote? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, relatively, I mean, compared to other films. I mean, uh, look, there was a film that just came out on iTunes and Amazon called Crisis. I think it's mm -hmm. the number one streamed movie out there today. I mean, if you go online, we've had 10 times more articles, 10 times more interviews. They have zero social media, you know. I mean, maybe it has something to do with the problems, the challenges they have with their cast publicly. But, you know, the controversial cast, we have a controversial movie title. I think it's actually helped us. 
Was there anything through the course of getting the movie from inception to reality, anything that you learned about the case that you didn't already know? Everything. And I, li and I like to tell people that Roe v. Wade is the case everyone in America has heard about, but nobody knows anything about. And because, you know, when I was first pitched to do this movie, I mean, my, literally my first reaction was, you know, I'm not going to do a pro-choice pro movie because Roe v. Wade is the decision that legalizes abortion in America. So immediately you think it's a, who wins at the end, the pro-choicers, right? So it's the pro-choice story. And literally, I knew nothing about it. I think the majority of Americans, <clears throat> none of them really know how it came to be and how it was decided. I and mean, all the Americans know is what I knew getting it. I mean, yes, people in the movements know, but that's a small segment of the population. And even there's a lot of people in the movements who come to me and said, wow, Nick, when I saw the movie, I thought I knew everything. And I grew up at the time and I researched and I'm the, I'm the head of this organization. That are, and I learned so many things in your movie that I had no idea about. Would you consider this movie a documentary? Is it factually accurate? I guess is my, the second part to my question. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, documentaries are, are things that are, you know, interviews and sure. you know, document, you know, so the, this is a, it's a feature narrative like JFK or, or Spotlight or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, everything is 100% is accurate. And we even did on our website for people who, who go and see the movie like, oh, well, that's not true. They made that up or whatever. On our website, there's a fact check section. You can go to robywademovie.com, fact check, and look up the source of, you know, everything that's in the movie. That's awesome. Yeah. Very helpful for those who, you know, might question some things. So you are both an actor and a director in this movie. How hard is it to do both on the same movie? Uh, when you've never directed before, extremely, <laughs> uh, extremely difficult. Um, and so I, you know, I, 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 I'm very thankful that I had, uh, a directing partner named Kathy Lynn, who co-directed the movie with me and really, you know, during the scenes that I was acting in, she sort of took over uh, and directed those scenes, which was also very challenging as well because she refused to let me see what I looked like in the camera. And for an actor, you know, that was, you know, she's like, stay in character, I'll, I'll, I'll handle this and I'll control, you know, you just, you know, go out there and do your job. But that was a little challenging. But no, that was, that was uh, super helpful. And it was, you know, a very interesting experience to be the director. What's the next step for you? I mean, does this certainly, this experience, does this kind of bring up some other ideas and things like that of maybe some other projects you want to get into? Oh, you think I'm going to be able to work after this movie? Oh, I know you're going to work after this movie. There's no doubt. <laughs> when you're that successful, you're my gosh, look out. No, uh, so all kidding aside, no, I've already uh, co-written another script. That I'm, I'm working on getting together, doing now. Uh, it's an, it's a, another true story. Uh, it's an action thriller, though. It's an amazing true story of a slave that was recruited by George Washington to spy on the British and help him win the American Revolution, based on a true story of, of a slave named James Armistead that you can you can Google and, and look up. The movie's called Ghost Patriot. Uh, it will star a guy named Damson Idris who is the star on a TV show called Snowfall. And I was originally producing the movie with John Singleton. And right now we're, you know, um, we're putting it together. Awesome. I won't be directing it though. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough to see a screening of the movie and the word I would describe, the word I would use to describe it uh, when it was all over was intense. There's just so much information. And like you said, 
things that people don't know. They have an opinion on the subject and they might have some snippets, but this was an intense movie. Like you played the, the role of the doctor who performed these thousands of abortions. How difficult is it as an actor to uh, have to portray that kind of a, an emotional and an intense situation on film? Not as difficult as having to go to medical school. <laughs> so at least I didn't have to become a doctor. Um, but no, I, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it was exciting to play Bernard because I did get to play all of these different emotions from being excited and, you know, cheering and, you know, winning and losing and, you know, and breaking to being angry at God and, you know, really a, you know, a myriad of emotions. And yeah, there were, you know, two or three really difficult scenes that I had that I, I really had to prepare for. And, you know, there was a conversion scene, which we, you know, and, and all of it was, you know, when you, when you play these roles, you try to bring real life experiences and of yours into the character so you can actually make it believable right i mean you, you know you know there's a scene where i'm crying it's not fake crying right i'm not you know you know no one put eye drops in me uh, you know and so there's you know i'm really up crying and about a certain thing i was you know <clears throat> and i had to bring that into that and so that you know yes those are heavy heavy moments and challenging and draining and, but it's, you know, it's, it's to be captured on celluloid for eternity. <laughs> so you better do it right, right? Yeah. One other question you had, you talked about the, the fact that it's an independent film that had to, you had to do some fundraising for it. Crowdfunding. Tell me all about, cause you, your, your past has been in movie picture finance what was it like for this particular movie, getting it funded? Uh, you well, know, Hollywood wasn't going to finance it. So I had to go to other sources. And so, you know, we did a bit of everything. We had crowdfunding, we had private investors, we had people make donations, uh, you know, beg, borrow and steal, you know, for the lack of a better expression to raise the money for the film. And so, um, you know, I'll tell you something that's really been strange and I, you know, I just didn't really believe it. But it, it literally, it's also happened like in the past couple of weeks. Every time we run out of money, money shows up. Wow. <laughs> it never happened to me in my life. And, and, and for the most strange, bizarre places, it just, we run out of money. We don't know what to do. How are we going to get to the next step? And then, and literally five or six times this has happened. Wow. Easy. I, Bernard wrote a book called The Hand of God. There you go. I, I gotta I, say, yeah. And I'm not a, I, and I'm not a very religious person, but I, you know, no other explanation. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time. Can we get you to stick around for our game time segment? You got it. Ken, get in the ring. Here we go with a little pro wrestling talk. And I thought it apropos to start this week. We've had some people who've asked us about doing this because. We've had some wrestling personalities on in the past and they wanted to hear more wrestling talk. So we're going to give it to you. And on this date, March 31st, 36 wow. years ago, I guess, WrestleMania debuted March 31st, 1985 at Madison Square Garden. So here in Cleveland, I got to see it live. I conned my father into taking me. 
down to Public Hall in downtown Cleveland. He was a big piano player, and Liberace. Oh, that's right. Was going to be the guest timekeeper. And my father, my, we as a family had seen Liberace perform. You remember the front row theater on the east side? I do. Yeah. yeah. We saw Liberace there two or three times. Oh so Liberace God. was the guest timekeeper for the main event of WrestleMania. And so I conned my father into taking me to the public hall where a giant TV screen was set up on the stage and... A couple thousand people sat and watched TV, essentially, watched the broadcast of WrestleMania. Unbelievable. So Vince McMahon put all of his money into this event. If this hadn't been a success, he would have been done. Yep. This was at Madison Square Garden. The main event was Hulk Hogan and Mr. T against Rowdy Roddy Piper and... Uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Hulk Hogan had Jimmy Snuka in his corner, the Superfly, and Rowdy Roddy Piper had Cowboy Bob Orton in his corner. Now, as if that's not enough, yes, I mentioned the guest timekeeper was Liberace. They had the Rockettes come out with Liberace. Yep. The guest ring announcer was Billy Martin, the former Yankees manager. And do you remember who the guest referee was? The, one of the greatest boxers of all time, Muhammad Ali. That's right. Oh, yes. Unbelievable. And this drew a sellout crowd at Madison Square Garden. I think there were nine matches on the card. I'll tell you the main thing I remember. I'd never seen a live wrestling show. I'd only seen it, you know, on TV. And so yeah. the advertised big match was Hulk Hogan, the Hulk Hogan match. And I... I wasn't familiar with the whole idea of the main event that you had to, you know, I wanted them to come on first. What the heck is all this other nonsense? But (laughs) here's what I remember about this event. We were sitting with, there's some other guys sitting with us. They were, oh, I don't know, probably, they were probably in their twenties. They seemed a lot older than me, but you know, I was 14 years old, 13 years old. And do you remember the junkyard dog? Oh yeah. JYD. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The big chain with the dog collar. Absolutely. So JYD, the junkyard dog, won the match against Greg Valentine by disqualification or something. And I was cheering. And the guy next to me, this older guy, sticks his hand out for a high five. So I give him a high five and I stick my hand out for the high five. And it was like a 200-pound lead weight nearly took my hand off. That's the main thing I remember from watching WrestleMania 1. But, That's classic. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say my highlight, one of the wrestlers that I hated the most as a child, just because he was so good at just being a pain in the rear end, was the Iron Sheik. <laughs> I just could not stand the Iron Sheik. So every time him and Nikolai Volkov came out, I would just go crazy because it's oh, like, yeah. man, I can't stand that guy. He was so good at his character, mm-hmm. which obviously to this day, he's still in that character. Yep. Because yep. I don't think he ever gets out of it, but he was no. so, so good. That's what I remember the, the most about that is obviously that. And Roddy Piper was one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. His interviews and what he did and all that was just phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. Hulk Hogan was really cool and Paul Orndorff was cool. But I don't know. The guys that really spoke well 
where they would have like a little talk show or they would have an interview. I mean, you'd throw guys like Ric Flair in there. The guys that can talk extremely well were always the ones that I really liked. So in this particular event for WrestleMania one, I was a huge fan of Roddy Piper and the Iron Sheik. Those guys just could come off and the things that they said were just so believable. It was classic. Roddy Piper could talk you into the building, so to speak, talk you into buying the event. Uh, One of the things that led up to this event, you might remember this from Piper's pit was when Rowdy Roddy Piper smashed a coconut over Jimmy Snooker's head. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You remember that? I do remember. Yeah, I do remember. All right. Well, that is a little reminiscing about wrestling as we remember the original, the first, WrestleMania. Here's some good news. A stray dog in North Carolina somehow developed an infection for a large pink stuffed unicorn. The dog apparently got into a Dollar General store and took the same toy five times. The store called Animal Control and the officer who picked up the dog bought the dog the toy as well. Pictures and the dog's story went viral and the dog's fame led him to being adopted one day later. Wow, that's really cool. That's that's neat. (laughs) I wonder what it was about that specific toy that led to that dog. Really? I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. A specific toy that he kept going after five times. He wanted it. He was going to get it. That's some good news. Cleveland, this is for you. Another edition of This Week in Cleveland History. We move to April 4th, 1994. The Indians opened their new ballpark, known as Jacobs Field, with a game against the Seattle Mariners. The Indians won the game against the Mariners 4-3 to three in 11 innings. Yeah. Do you remember this contest? Did you cover this game? I was at this game. You were at the game. Were I you really? Yes. Oh my gosh. No, I, was I, was, in, I, I watched on TV. My dad went, but I watched on TV. Please I tell. was up in uh, right field. I remember where I, I was in the upper deck in right field, right, right down in the corner. Oh, how cool. Who were you with? A uh, buddy of mine from Cleveland area who I had grown up with. The young man who I told you, we used to go down to the old ballpark at 645 and we could be in our seats by 705. Yes. <laughs> uh, for the footlongs, that whole deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He went, we, 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 we went and uh, yeah, it was awesome. We saw president Clinton was there throughout the first pitch. Do you remember who got the winning hit? I actually do. It was a gentleman by the name of Wayne Kirby. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he, he got the, he got that hit, and I don't remember who scored the winning run. Was it Viscal? I, I can't remember that. Often, but I don't know. But uh, no, it was it was really cool. I mean, it was such a fun and exciting time because here's a brand new stadium after being at Cleveland Municipal, and I actually had the opportunity to go to the games when they closed the, the mm-hmm. stadium when Bob Hope was there and sang, yeah. and they did that whole thing and and all that. So didn't have the opportunity to go to the, uh, to the a new stadium, but gosh, was it exciting just to see, you know, an Indians team that was really good too. Yep. I mean, you're talking yep. about, you know, Eddie Murray and Sandy Almar jr. And Omar Vizquel. I mean, I think the starter that day was Denny Martinez. Who, he was. I mean, was a very good pitcher. So <laughs> that was just super exciting. And to, to win that first game, it kind of set things off. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that same year, 
the season got shortened because of a strike. That's right. So they didn't even have the playoffs. That's right. The and that team was really good. Games out of 144. Unbelievable. Out of 144 games, they won 100. They talk about it. If they if they could have played in the playoffs, that they had a really good shot of winning the World Series. And obviously, they came back the next year and went. They went to the World Series in 95. I would suggest to you that that season, if that season had not been shortened by the strike, the Indians would have won the World Series in either 94 or 95. Maybe not 94, but 90, 95, I think the experience from 94 would have helped them in 95. I think they would have won correct. one of those two. Yes, I completely concur with you. Because obviously, you get that that you know playoff experience, which that's priceless. Let's be honest. In that mm-hmm. but, All right, well, there we go. Another week, another day in Cleveland history. Cleveland! This is for you! All right, time for a game time segment with filmmaker, actor, and director Nick Loeb. His opponent is a man who's always wanted to be a stunt double for Mark Hamill in Star Wars, Ted Klopp. Today's <laughs> game is trivia involving our guest, Nick Loeb. Both of our contestants will get three multiple choice questions. You'll each need to give an answer, and you can both have the same answers. Today's winner will each receive something different. If Nick is the winner, he gets to be a priceless gift of being Nick Loeb. Let's, let's be honest, everybody wants to be Nick. If Ted Klopp Wins today, he will have the opportunity to be the next stunt double for the future biography movie on Oral Hershiser. No movie date has been set, but Ted will be ready. Gentlemen, let's go to question number one. 2019 biography movie called The Brawler depicts the life of Chuck Wepner, a heavyweight boxer who goes 15 rounds against legendary fighter Muhammad Ali. Our guest Nick Loeb was the actor in the movie portraying Donnie Wepner, who is the brother of Chuck Wepner. The fight between Ali and Wepner took place on March 24th, 1975. In what venue did this fight take place? Was it Madison Square Garden, the Spectrum, the Forum in Inglewood, or the Richfield Coliseum in Richfield, Ohio? Nick, you get the first guess. Madison Square Garden. Well, I'm, I, I, there's no question, Nick. Well, first of all, let me just say the fix is on here. But aside from that... Uh, I'm sure Nick has it right, but just for argument's sake, I'll go with the spectrum. Gentlemen, I'm going to blow your mind. The answer is actually the Richfield Coliseum. No, no, no. Yes, it is. No. That is correct. Yep. Wow. That's when Muhammad Ali fought Chuck Weapner. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It no longer exists, by the way. They knocked it down because yeah. they moved it to downtown Cleveland. So it's probably the most. I, I had no idea. Happened. Yeah. It's- I didn't really explain that in the movie, I don't think. Well, if, I have to talk, I have to, talk to the writer on that. Yeah. Have you seen the movie? Didn't make a big deal about that. I saw some clips from the movie. Yeah. All right. So that's question one, zero, zero. I, kind of, I guess I threw a zinger at you guys. Number two, Nick Loeb is a 1998 graduate of Tulane University. The Green Wave graduate is not the only famous alum from Tulane. Alum, the one alum wasn't born in the U.S., but found a way to succeed in broadcasting, journalism, acting, producing, law, and politics. He once resided in Ohio and made appearances in Dancing with the Stars, Married with Children, Roseanne, and Days of Our Lives. Is this person Paul Michael Glazer, Luke Perry, Jerry Springer, or Ed O'Neill? Ted, you get to guess first this time. Luke Perry. Okay. Nick? Jerry Springer. 
Jerry Springer is correct. He is a 1965 graduate of Tulane University. <clears throat> I mean, listen, when, 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 listen, when you, when you, when you only have two famous people at <laughs> Tulane University, uh, Newt New Gingrich and Jerry Springer, that's uh, right. You know, it's a 50-50 toss-up. Yeah. All right, one nothing. We go to question three. So in 2016, Nick Lowe played the role of Andrew Hertzberg in the movie Precious Cargo. This movie is about a murderous boss played by Bruce Willis who recruits others to help steal rare and valuable gems. Now, Bruce Willis also starred in a movie called Red in 2010, in which he plays a former CIA agent who lives in a quiet life in this Ohio city. What city does he reside in? Is it Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, or Dayton? Nick, you get to guess first. Dayton. Dayton. Mr. Klopp? I, you said quiet city, and I'm trying to... None of those seem like quiet cities. However... Compared uh, to Los Angeles, yes. Well, all right. I'll go with Columbus. Columbus. All right. Well, actually, the answer is Cleveland, if you can believe that. <laughs> Two middle-aged men in Cleveland, and we miss, I miss, the answer about the uh, the Coliseum and the city for the, yeah, great. Okay. I thought you had a chance, Dad, but unfortunately, Nick is yeah. the winner. So, Nick, congratulations. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Well, Nick, hey, thank you for your time. Tell us where we can find Roe v. Wade. April 2nd, uh, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play. If you just have satellite or, or local cable, it'll be on demand. Uh, if you want to do pre-screenings, you can go to robywademovie.com and sign up to do pre-screenings. And that's pretty much it. Still plenty of ways for people to see. So hopefully a lot of folks see it and, uh, uh, you know, get themselves educated one way or another. Great. Hey, Nick, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you it. You guys got it. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Nick. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV. You've heard me talk about their top-notch rental services, but don't take my word for it. Here are some Google reviews. The Ohio Society of Association Executives says, not only do they meet every need we have, they anticipate additional services and requests that we have had and are always prepared. The Westside Catholic Center says the elements they added to our event enhanced every aspect of the evening. Very easy to work with, incredibly knowledgeable, and made adjustments on the fly. Whether you are planning a virtual or an in-person event, Westminster AV should be your first call for dependable, professional, audiovisual equipment rentals. Call today, 216-325-6960. Again, the number, 216-325-6960. Miss Speak of the Week now, NHL referee Tim Peel is out of a job. He was mic'd up during a game last week and admitted he targeted the Nashville Predators for a tripping penalty, even though replays showed the Red Wings player who got tripped embellished his fall and helped to draw the call. Peel made the penalty call, and a few minutes later, the Nashville broadcasts captured Peel saying this. It wasn't much, but I wanted to get a f***ing penalty yeah, against Nashville. Yeah, that's, you're not supposed to say that, Ken. 
That's not what you're looking for from a no, It's not. Oh, Peel has been an NHL referee for 22 years and was going to retire at the end of the season. He's not a favorite referee among social media fans, as in 2015, he was removed from officiating at a New Jersey Devils home game after being photographed at a bar drinking with the reporter. Oh, Boy, oh boy. <laughs> I like this guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he might be my new follow. This yeah, great. yeah. Oh, what is it we learned early on in our careers when we were working with media? Anytime, How do you treat a microphone? How do anytime you treat you're phone? near a microphone, assume it's on. Oh my gosh, Just, 101. Yep, and here's another person who forgot that one. Well, Tim was looking to retire. It's just he retired a little bit earlier than I guess he wanted to this season. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 one way to look at it. He gets a little vacation a little sooner. That is the misspeak of the week. The most trusted name in journalism, Klopp's Clips. Edward R. Murrow has nothing on this collection of Klopp's clips. At least that's what I'm going with. Middleburg Heights, Ohio. Police called to the off-ramp on I-71 at Pearl Road because of a car stopped at a light with the driver and passenger passed out. The car was running. The driver had her foot on the brake. Police were able to awaken the passenger who put the car in park, turned it off, and then tried to go back to sleep. Oh. <clears throat> He had a gun in his lap, smelled of alcohol, and slurred his speech. When he got out of the car, cops spotted a half-empty bottle of liquor under his seat. The driver also appeared to be drunk, but did try to do some field sobriety tests before <laughs> giving up during the one-legged stand test and saying, just take me to jail. <laughs> Police uh, did uh, just that, and the pair now facing charges. Just take Yeah, me to that makes sense. Just take me to jail. Yep, we're done. Cy Young Award winner Trevor Bauer faced his former teammate, Tribe Third Baseman Jose Ramirez in a spring training game. Bauer, who has previously pitched in spring training with <clears throat> one eye closed, decided to go even farther for this at bat. He signaled to Ramirez that he was going to throw a fastball and did so with one eye closed. Struck out Ramirez on the 2-2 pitch, and then the two shared a laugh about it afterward. I guess when you make $40 million, you could do those two things. Closing one eye, telling him, Ricky, I'm throwing him the heater. It's coming. Here you go. Yeah. How about this story? A former manager at a high-end auto repair shop in Georgia didn't leave his employer on the best of terms. He gave notice and then wound up quitting early, apparently over the need to leave by 5 p.m. to pick his child up from daycare. They had an agreement, and then there was some consternation about that. That was back in November. Well, we're now at the end of March. So after months of waiting for that final check, Andreas Flatten filed a claim with the U.S. Department of Labor. The department contacted AOK Walker Luxury Auto Works three times about this last bit of cash that was owed. Finally, earlier this month, Mr. Flatten got his money. It was not a check. Now, when Flatten tried to drive to the store one evening, his driveway was blocked by a mound of pennies. Oh, jeez. 
The belief is that there are 91,500 pennies. That's how many were there, we think. He was owed $915, so that would add up. The pile included an envelope with his last pay stub inside and a less than flattering drawing on the front of the envelope. Upon examination, the pennies were covered in a sticky, foul-smelling liquid, possibly power steering fluid or motor oil. Bottom line here, Mr. Flatten did get his money. The Department of Labor, when asked if there was anything he could do about it, they said there is nothing in the regulations that says what kind of currency an employee must be paid. Boy, I, I understand things didn't end on a positive note at this, certainly uh, the auto works facility, but putting 91,500 pennies on someone's driveway, I mean, that would take a lot of time to do. That's that's about 500 pounds worth of pennies, I think. I can't imagine that's a really good pub <laughs> for their facility either. I don't know. I That's a really strange. Strange situation. You don't, you don't think the Yelp reviews are going to be positive after no, that? No, I, I imagine not. And then let's just throw one more thing on there. We'll just throw some motor motor oil or some yeah. power steering fluid yeah. on it as well. Boom! In your face. Yeah. You go. Take that. My God. Pick your kid up on time. How dare you? Mr. Flatten, I feel bad for you. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Wrapping up episode number 48. Can you believe we've done 48 of these, Ken? It's amazing. We should do something special when we hit 50, you know, yeah. like it's a big birthday or something like that. But no, it really has been enjoyable. We're starting to get to a lot of great feedback. We're up to over 900 people following us on Instagram. So thank you for doing that. And what a pleasure of this week's show. Um, all the different things, obviously, with Nick Loeb and once again, your misspeaks of the weeks. I, I just complete classic. Poor Tim Peel. <laughs> just got to remember about that, Mike. Yeah. And then obviously, Mr. Flatten. Yeah. How do you like those pennies? <laughs> A penny for your thoughts? Yeah, more than one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had some good stories this week. Next week, we're going to have some great stories from TV news reporter Paul Orlowski. He has a book out as he has recently retired and it is a great book and he's got some tremendous stories the name of the book is punched kicked spat on and sometimes thanked memoirs of a cleveland tv news reporter paul has some great stories and he's going to share those with us next week i don't know if his book could be named any better because i know he was punched <laughs> I know he was kicked and I know he was spat on. Yep. I hardly know that most times he wasn't thanked. So yeah. could not have think and thought of a better title for his book. And I would look forward to talking to Paul. He's a class guy and he's got a lot of stories. There's no doubt. I mean, I think above and beyond what's in the book from what I've been told. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll make sure that we thank him after he joins us. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. So, so occasionally thanked occasionally. Yes. All right. Vaccine number two coming soon. Or what's the deal with your Fauci ouchie? Yeah, my, my Fauci ouchie <laughs> on April 21st, I, okay. I get the second vaccine. So okay. here we go. I'll fill my paperwork out correctly so I can get more praise. I can't wait for tomorrow, by the way. Tomorrow is my favorite day of the year. Why is that? It's April Fool's Day. Oh, <laughs> do you what think you I will do? take oh. advantage of this? 
at every opportunity I can. I will not talk to you. That <laughs> That's a wise move. That. Maybe next Thank week you. we can share some of our favorite uh, uh, April Fool's jokes that we pulled. That's a really good idea. I think yeah. we should do that. All right, Ken. Well, until next week, happy April Fool's Day. Happy April Fool's, Ted. And I just want to say one last thing. We're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.